Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Cynicism Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Mowry. Today I'm with my friend and big cinephile, Sean Barlow. Say hey, Sean. Hello, cynics. And uh, we're going to talk about Silence today. Uh, came out fairly recently. Uh, End Mar- of last year, I believe. Right, Martin Scorsese's newest film. And wow, talk about an intense film. It's just under three hours, uh, and I enjoyed every second of it. It was crazy ride, and I, I took tons from it. Um, so the thing about this movie that was different than a lot of the other films that I've been watching recently was the fact that when I walked out of the theater, uh, I didn't have thoughts about, oh, how does this relate to the other movies I saw? You know, what would this win Oscar-wise? Or how does this rate? I didn't think about that stuff. This film had such impactful, big questions that that's the stuff that I took out from. And that's how what, that's what I want to start this podcast on, talking about some of the big themes. Um, Sean, go ahead and talk about some of the big themes that you noticed, and I'll kind of continue with that. It's absolutely a film that just leaves you with your jaw on the floor when it ends. It's very deep, very uh, cerebral, I thought. Uh, Definitely a personal experience for anyone that watches it. Um, What I took away from it most was that there's a lot of things that we can't know for sure when interacting with other people, when we're dealing with deeply held beliefs, whether it's religion, whether it's politics. It's just a lot of stuff that you have to kind of assume and you can't know for sure. Mm. I, um, one of the biggest things I took away from this was the idea of taking a man who all humans are inherently flawed, we all make mistakes, we all you know have problems. Uh, you take somebody with such extreme devout faith and you put them in one of the hardest circumstances and they try to live it out and they try to do what they believe is right and what happens with that. I liked that idea a lot. Um, a lot of you know Christian films, uh, here focus on things not like that. They they the Christianity that they portray is always in a safe kind of environment where most of the time it wraps up in the end and and things work. Whereas this film took the exact opposite approach, where you take somebody who's in comfort, in ease, who is sought in their faith, and you take them into a new place and just throw everything at them. And I really like that idea of how that played out in this film. I agree. It really shows the effects of extreme adversity on uh, someone's convictions and just what that can do to them when they're push their absolute limit when it comes to that. Right. I think with this film, uh, I think what we see, it, we start off in Portugal. And one of the things that I liked that it showed was, you know, we see Adam Driver's character and Andrew Garfield's character in the places they've grown up, the places they've studied and learned and cultivated their knowledge and practice of Catholicism. And we're taught by the mentor, which they're going to find in the film. Right, exactly. And so the idea is that they've been in a place with, you know, consistent tradition, with consistent uh, knowledge and books, and uh, just, oh, it's a good civilization to cultivate your faith. And I think what was interesting with that... certainly a very unicultural setting for them. Sure, sure. And I think what was really interesting is the idea that you take this person and you shove them into a completely different area where... Sometimes these traditions don't work. Uh, one of the really interesting things about this is uh, the idea of confession. Uh, that you know these Japanese people were living without a priest, therefore their sins couldn't be forgiven. And I think that's a, that was a really interesting area. I like the idea of saying you take uh, your you take your beliefs right 
from where you are in, in your culture and you transplant them somewhere else and you say, does this work in this other culture? Because if your beliefs are true, then they should transfer. If your beliefs do not transfer over, then there, ha there may be something wrong because the idea would be truth should work in all circumstances. You know, that would be the idea, especially you know, Andrew Garfield's character in this film actually talks about that. Uh, where they say, oh, your faith works in Portugal, but it doesn't work here. And he said, well, truth should be absolute anywhere you go. And I think that was a really interesting point because he was teaching that. And yet, at the same time, you see these Japanese that struggle and die without a priest, without forgiving their sins. And I thought that was a really interesting concept. Absolutely. And I think what Tyler means when he says uh, the truth is universal is that the core idea of anything uh, applies to all cultures if it's true. And what this film uh, really explores is whether um, it's best to introduce something to uh, people that have no connection with it and not change it from your uh, culture whatsoever and just the problems that can arise from that and kind of the inevitable uh, adaptation that occurs within that new culture and whether that changes uh, the belief uh, itself. Right. I think one of the biggest things about this movie is the idea that you know, the world is a lot messier than we would like to believe it. Uh, the people who we've put our trust in can still fall, as Andrew Garfield's character did in this film. Uh, spoiler alert. Right, yeah. So, uh, the, the, the things that we put our trust in, uh, we have to understand whether or not they work in other cultures. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that, you know, I believe what they were trying to do was incorrect, but I do think there's an interesting examination that they need to do that... Uh, Whether it could be done better, right? You know, as you as you look at this idea, you know, from from the Catholic perspective, you have to, I think, say, okay, this idea of priests may not be working, right? I mean, in this context of this film, because we right. see, you know, what are these people doing if they don't have their priests? That's a legitimate question that this movie raises, and I think that was a legitimate question. Um, and so the idea also that. Um, Liam Neeson's character brings up in the film about, you know, I forget when it is, but uh, when he talks to Andrew Garfield face-to-face -face in the Buddhist temple, um, and there's the question of the translation, because the first Catholic missionaries that came to Japan, uh, they asked, like, well, how do they refer to God? And they used the word for the sun. And so they're talking about the possibility of the Japanese people not believing in the same God that they believe in, and they're actually worshiping the sun and the translation error that may be taking place. Now, whether or not he was accurate in that statement, the, the movie doesn't tell you, but I think either way it does bring up a good point. I think that goes into uh, what we were saying before about you can't be sure what someone else believes. That's only they'll know what they truly believe in their heart, and... If you're not sure, you can't know for certain whether or not you were actually helping them or harming them uh, in the context of what you're trying to share with them. So let's talk about the character of Kijijiro. I, I'm sorry, I probably butchered that name. Um, but let's talk about his character real quick. Uh, I know you had some interesting thoughts on that, if you want to share that. Right. Uh, Kikichiro is the um, kind of guide that the two priests have while they're in Japan. And he is just a pitiful character. He's always drunk. He's very unkempt. He... Uh, uh, constantly runs off and then comes back from who knows where. And what I thought was very uh, fascinating with this character is that he's constantly either betraying them or betraying the priest, that is, and betraying, because um, uh, he's a Christian, he's betraying uh, Jesus by um, stepping on it and he considers himself weak and the 
Andrew Garfield character considers him absolutely despicable and basically wants nothing to do with him after a certain point in the film, and he just keeps coming back. And what I thought this film was trying to say with him was that you get to a certain point, and when you think you're better than someone else, and you just get you know brought down in your uh, in the intensity of your faith you almost meet them on that level because this is not a film about redemption this is a film about falling from the peak of your faith to the to the lowest point that it could possibly be right and i think that there was an interesting meeting with you know andrew garfield and kachichiro because the whole movie you're assuming okay you know kachichiro is tested over and over and you're like okay one of these times it's going to be his decision to stand up and stand strong. You're expecting that the whole film, and it never every comes. Time, I think, what, he has to do it four times at least, something like at that. At least. At least. And every time you're like, okay, this is the one. This is the one where he turns around. And that never happens. Whereas with Andrew Garfield's character, you're constantly thinking, okay, no, this is the priest who's going to make it. He's going to be the one that stands up. As he sits in the cell, Liam Meeson is talking to him about the words on the side of the cell that Liam Neeson had written there. He's saying that, you know, you will, you're going to be the one, you're going to do exactly what I did, you're going to follow the exact same path. And in the audience, you know, I'm thinking, oh, no, like, you know, this is he's the one that's going to that's gonna push through and he's going to make it, but he doesn't, right? And he falls. But I want to talk about that scene, actually, real quick, because that is a very interesting scene to think about because what do you do in a situation where you're beliefs that you hold as close to you as possible are challenged but to give them up would save the lives and stop the suffering of other people that's a really interesting it's a very interesting question because you know uh, throughout this film i found myself kind of judging the care the actions of certain uh, certain characters especially kachijiro i was like oh you know how could he do this how could he continue to deny how could he continue to to let go of what he believed in and then you watch it happen to Andrew Garfield's character and my mind started to think okay you know what really what I do in a situation like this uh, what would anybody really do in a situation like this and the bigger question what is the right choice because and that that's a that's an interesting point of debate it's definitely a moral dilemma right because you know you look in the bible and you never see Christ in this situation, to my knowledge, where he has to do something that would be contradictory to what he wants to do, to contra- contradictory to him, uh, for the sake of saving the physical lives of someone else. You don't see that. So I think it's a really interesting point to be in that position to make that decision. Um, I don't know, you know what I would do in that situation, but I think it raises some interesting points. And it's also worth bringing up, is it better to save their physical lives and to let their spiritual lives die? Or is it just the other way around? You don't know. Or the, uh, the film poses that question and you have to figure it out yourself, rather. Right, it's interesting. One thing that the, in that scene that's interesting is that all of the people that are suffering have already apostatized. At least that's what they say. Right, which is what they say, and they say they're only here for you. They're only here because of what? Because of your inability to apostatize. And so I think that's an interesting question, that they've already made a decision, right? Right. That's that's one important thing that I felt that that scene was about. They, those people already made a decision about what they were going to do. They had apostatized, but they were still suffering for someone else. So I think that does kind of inform that situation a little bit to say what may or may not be the right choice because those people already made a decision. And so 
uh, I think that does matter on what he does. Uh, one thing that I did want to talk about was the whole the whole film really kind of gave me an interesting perspective on American culture and kind of how we live here. I think that it's really interesting to see for the majority of us, you know, we do not live in a society where our beliefs are intensely challenged in this way. Sure, there's people that disagree with us. There's always people that disagree with you, and that's just life. No but, matter what color Starbucks cups are. <laughs> but to have such intense contradiction and intense oppression for what you believe, you know, we've never experienced that in America, and I think that I'm glad that this film ends up ending in the way that it does because it leaves you with this question of what is the world really like outside the bubble that we live in? You know, what do people really struggle with? And the world is messier than we believe it is. And I think that was a really interesting point that this film made. It absolutely is. And what I was, obviously it's very easy to say, you know, I'd make this choice or that choice when you're not in that situation. But when you're put there, you have no idea what you're going to do. It all comes down to you as a person. And what I thought this film did incredibly was continually defy your expectations. You thought it was going to go one way. You thought the priest was going to be the one to do what no one else had done and uh, stick with it and change the hearts of all these persecutors. But that's just not what happens in this film. It's constantly just in your face showing you how brutal the world can be and even like the best or what we consider the best of us can fall because of it. So I want to talk about the ending real quick, kind of the All epilogue right. area of the film um, because it was really interesting because it leaves a lot of questions unanswered for you because you never see, you never really see this return to his faith. You know, every time he now works with Liam Neeson's character to find Christian artifacts and to stop them from coming into Japan. He consistently writes the Inquisitor uh, letters of uh, apostasy. Um, he lives in Japan for the rest of his life. He has a Buddhist uh, funeral. And so I think that... It's basically the opposite of how he was at the beginning of the film. Exactly, exactly. He goes through a complete change. Uh, and so the question becomes at the end, you know, where you see that he's holding this cross as, you know, he's burning in his Buddhist funeral. That is an interesting question of what did this, you know, what happens to this person? What went on in this person's mind through the rest of these years? Because we really, the story for the most part ends with his first apostasy, you know, and we don't really know that much about what happens internally after that point. It's much more of an epilogue. Right. We just kind of... In that sense. Right. We just see things happen as they did from an outside perspective. We don't really see him in any secret or private moments anymore. And, but I, I think it's interesting about how, you know, he has the cross and the question of, you know, who put that cross, cross there? Was it his wife who gave him that cross? And if it was, what does that imply? For Was he preaching you know, in secret, and there's a lot of questions about that and about how he ends up dying and, and what that means at the end. It definitely lends itself to a lot of ambiguity, and there were several ways, I'm sure dozens of different ways you can take that ending. I thought a few of them that could potentially be the case was that he kept it either as a reminder of his time and what caused him to lose his faith, so it was just a little trinket, or maybe that he uh, kept his faith because we do hear what we assume to be the voice of Jesus saying, step on me in the apostasy scene. And then once more afterwards, when Kikichiro is asking for confession and he's uh, telling him that he's no longer a priest. So you wonder, maybe he did keep his faith personally, but no longer shared it or just shared it within his family. 
And I thought it's great that we can have so many different uh, takeaways from an ending that is so ambiguous. Right. I think the biggest takeaway is that, uh, similar to what you said earlier, is that, you know, we don't truly know what's inside someone's heart. We don't know. We, we can talk to them. We can, you know, tell them what we believe they can tell us, what they believe. But at the end of the day, we don't truly know what's inside them. And, At least not for certain. Right. We, can, we can't be for certain. And I think that that was an interesting point that this film brought up. Because um, that can be discouraging, but also encouraging at the same time. Because there are certain people where, you know, we don't, we don't know, you know, who they were at the end. Uh, it could be good, it could be bad. But at the same time, you know, we can look around at other people who believe the same way that we do. And wonder, you know, what does this person really believe? What does this person really, really believe? Do we believe the same things about life and things like that it brought a lot of those questions up and i really like that so that's a, a summary of kind of the main themes and main questions that it brought up one thing i do want to talk about now is uh scorsese uh scorsese obviously was the director of this film who he's a phenomenal director one of the best of our time right and I, I i think it's interesting to examine him as he makes this film because uh he is a non-practicing catholic and how that informs on this film. So he's coming from a position of, from what, from my personal understanding, a belief in God, but maybe not a practice in God. And how does how does his personal beliefs about the world inform this film? Uh, because I think that you know all films can be framed in the way that the people who make them want them to be. And so, although this film raises a lot of interesting questions, I think you also have to understand this film through the lens of who Scorsese is. Very much so. It's important to note that he's been wanting to make this film for over two decades, which is incredible because he thought he wasn't ready back in the 90s or whenever it was that he first decided this, which is you know mind-blowing because we think of him as one of our best. But he has, uh, it's based on, a, Silence is based on a book, first of all, a book by a Japanese Catholic that um, is a historical fiction, so it's not actually true events. But it is about a real time that took place in Japan where uh, Christians were persecuted and the priests just stopped coming. It was before the total isolationist period, so you have some contact with the Western world, but not much. There's a line in this film that's repeated several times that Japan is a swamp where Christianity cannot grow. And the author of this book was a Japanese Catholic, so I don't think that he's trying to say that Christianity can't exist in Japan. But I think what's very important to take away from it is does it matter how the seed is planted? Because I think it does. And if you bring over a belief and a with many rituals that is not adapted to the culture that is being introduced to, is it going to inevitably ruin it um, in a sense? And I think that this is what the film really, and the book I assume, uh, focuses on heavily. Mm. Also, it's important to note the other films that Scorsese has made, uh, very specifically The Last Temptation of Christ, right. uh, and how that was considered to be a very sacrilegious film. Uh, and I think it's important to understand Scorsese's other filmography uh, in relation to this movie and to understand his personal beliefs. Because I think that the more you understand the people who make the film, the more you understand why and the more you can take away from it. Uh, whether or not you but at the same time though once a film is released I think it is up to the interpretation of the people who watch it you know it's still Absolutely. you know if if Scorsese comes out and says oh I meant this well even if he meant this it doesn't necessarily mean 
that is what people take from it. So I think once a film is released, you can have the interpretation that you want to take from it. But I, I think that as a film itself, as a standalone film, if we don't think about Scorsese, it does bring up a lot of really interesting questions. And I think if we add him to the equation, it really informs on how does he perceive the world? You know, what are his presuppositions about the world? Uh, and a, not just, you know, Japan and Catholicism, but out, uh, about the world as a whole and the messiness of communication uh, and, and things like that. There are probably a million different ways you could take the reaction to this film because it is very personal, and I don't think any of them are right or wrong necessarily. It just really depends on you as a person, and I think that's very interesting for a film to do. Okay, so now we're going to pull back from the big themes for just a second and just talk about favorite scenes, likes, and dislikes. Sean, do you want to start off? Okay, um, my favorite scene of the film was probably the scene where uh, the Andrew Garfield priest character is drinking water from a river and sees his reflection in it, and his reflection uh, is the face of Jesus Christ is superimposed over it, and he starts to have kind of a breakdown right then and there. And I think that informs a lot about the character because constantly the Japanese inquisitors are calling him arrogant and that he is uh, desiring to be a martyr because of his ego and not because of his faith. And I think if he views himself as a savior figure for these uh, Japanese Christians, then he is not uh, fulfilling his role as a priest because he is supposed to be a bridge between uh, them and God and not God himself. I got you. Uh, my personal favorite scene... Uh, so there's a scene where the Inquisitor and his men come into the village uh, and they're looking for Christians. They've, they've heard rumors that there are Christians here uh, and they basically say, if you don't bring us any Christians, these two men will be taken back to Nagasaki plus two more. And so at, you go to the tonight and the village is there and they're discussing, okay, who is the two other people that we're going to send to, you know, die or be tortured or whatever in Nagasaki. There's a really interesting moment there because there's one character that we don't get his name and I only believe he's in a few scenes, maybe only two. Um, but he stands up and he volunteers to be the third man to go to Nagasaki. And he's the only one to do that because right after that they have to convince Kochijiro to be the fourth man. So I really like that because we, we don't know his name, he's not remembered by us, but he understood what he needed to do and he did it. I now I really like moments of courage like that, even if we don't know the name of this person. So I really like that. That's probably my favorite scene of the film. Absolutely. As far as um, my likes of this film, on a technical level, it's spectacular. The cinematography, I thought, really captured both the beauty and the harshness of the Japanese um, environments, whether that's the, uh, the landscape itself or the uh, people that uh, dwell within it. I just thought it's Japanese culture is very beautiful to me. But at this time, it was uh, very um, ugly in a sense of how they uh, operated. Right. For the first, like, I'd say 20 minutes or so, I was just enamored by the cinematography more than anything else. Uh, it took me a little bit to kind of get used to the fact that it was so well done, so gorgeous, and uh, to can, like, really get invested in the story, um, which I guess could be another another discussion on whether or not some beautiful cinematography can hurt a film. But I, I really love how this film was shot. Very, very well done. Uh, I feel like it captured the essence of uh, the difference between the Portugal, the world of Portugal and the world of Japan and the culture there. There was never a moment where I was like, oh, that looks 
really, really CG, or that looks like they're right outside a big city in Japan. Or something. It, it looked really immersive, very well done. Loved the cinematography. So Absolutely. The aesthetics of the film are very well done. The costumes, the effects, I didn't think for a second this was shot in modern day. I was so uh, invested in the world of the film that it, it didn't break that illusion whatsoever. I want to talk about sound. Yeah, yeah, I do want to talk about sound. Uh, and obviously the film is called Silence, and they make a lot of technical use with it uh, in this film. There's, a, I believe, at least three or four moments in the film where uh, you go almost complete silent or fully silent. Uh, and just the dramatic impact of silence in film. I've always loved that idea. Uh, there's a lot of films that are way too noisy, and it's just noise for a very long time, and there's no real emotional impact of that but the ability to understand that a lack of sound can be just as impactful as a lot. Uh, and the way that the film uses, I thought that was so, so well done, especially in the apostasy scene where uh, Andrew Garfield's character does end up apostatizing. You know, it goes to complete silence, you know, and we hear the voice of Christ speaking to him. I think that was such an interesting moment. Uh, and the fact that it was quiet just highlighted that because it was just this complete internal moment you know it was a complete internal dilemma of what do i do in this situation and none of the outside world and environment that he was in mattered it was just kind of within his head and i think that that moment was very very well done the silence absolutely adds so much to the scenes that it's used in i thought the sound design from the music to that is very very well done in this film it's probably a prime example of how to do that effectively in film on a technical level, the film is unbelievably well done. Um, as for dislikes, what did you... Anything in the film that you really, really didn't like? I wouldn't say I really, really didn't like this, but I thought it was a bit heavy on narration and maybe a little too over-reliant on it. I think that uh, comes from the book a lot, but um, I feel like there were some scenes where they didn't necessarily... Because they have narration for letters that are written, narrations for... Uh, just internal thoughts, narration for prayer, narration among different characters. So I thought there was a lot of narration in this film. Some of it's very well done. Some of it I thought wasn't very necessary. I would have liked to see a bit of their internal thoughts being um, maybe uh, represented more visually because it is a film. Um, okay, so on that, I kind of disagree with you on that in certain aspects of it. So yes, I usually am not a big fan of narration in films. Um, but I think that there were certain moments in this where you heard the audible thoughts of a character and that informed on what we were saying. Uh, there's a, there's an interesting moment where Andrew Garfield's character is handing out the crosses and handing out the Christian artifacts and he's thinking and we hear the narration of he's wondering about are they worshiping these artifacts more than God? Uh, and I felt like that was important to have the narration so that we kind of connected that there was another moment uh you know as they're doing confession where uh andrew garfield we hear his thoughts again and he says that you know we didn't always hear exactly what they said but you know we we did the best we could i i like that idea because i think that goes back to the idea of the messiness of it um and i'm glad that we did get that thought through that those few moments there were some that was i would say you write that it was excessive, but there were certain moments that I really enjoyed it. 
I agree. I did enjoy it in some moments. Um, the biggest example that comes into my mind when I think that it might have been uh, used a bit too much was this scene where Kikichiro is being uh, pitiful as always, and Andrew Garfield just looks at him, and you could see disgust on his face, and I thought, wow, this is great. He's really uh, showing what he thinks of him. And then his narration comes on saying, uh, Lord, how can you uh, love such a pitiful creature as this? And I thought, man, you know, they could. we were basically already thinking that, did they really need to say it? But that's not a huge negative. That's just um, something that I wish they may have dialed back a little bit on. That makes sense. Yeah, so overall with this film, um, I would say that no matter your opinion of Catholicism uh, or Christianity or religion in general, I think that there are legitimate questions that this film raises on both sides of of kind of if there's a quote-unquote argument to this film. Um that I think that there's a lot of things to talk about, you know, where where is the place of tradition and ritual in religion, and does it work for everyone, and the issues with that, um, but at the same time, I think it did show, you know, something that, you know, people held on to, there was, there was hope there, that these Christians who were suffering in these horrible conditions, you know, they, they held on to a hope, that you know they had a savior and they had somebody that was looking out for them whether that be god or the priest that was in front of them that's another question but i did like i liked the biggest thing that i enjoyed was the fact that when i walked out of the theater i wasn't thinking about how this film fit in with the other great films that i watched in 2016 i was thinking these bigger questions about theology and how it works and so and that is why i enjoyed this film so much that's one of the best things you can say about the film. This is a pinnacle of Scorsese's work. It's incredible that a man that's in his 70s and has been had such a career is still pumping out great movies like this. I found Silence to be an incredibly personal film. I think if you sat in a room with a bunch of other people that have watched it, you could talk for hours on different takes on it and just what, how, what it did to affect you. I think that the way this film examines the not only persecution of Christians, but um, just the way that bringing something from another culture into an environment that has no connection with it, there's an argument on both sides that it can be bad for Japan or good for Japan. And that really is a fascinating argument and one that still can be applied today, I think. And not only um, in that country, but in, you know, the entire world, and not just related to Christianity, but in all sorts of ideas that are um, being shared across a global environment. All right, well, awesome. I think this has been a great second episode. Sean, I've been so happy to have you for this. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank you all for tuning into the second episode of Cynicism. We'll see you all soon.